And welcome back to the Curiosity Chamber. This is Season 3, Episode 2. And before we even get started, I just want to say thank you to everyone for the uh, the outreach last time, last episode. It was a lot of positive feedback, and that goes a long way with me. So really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in, as always. And let's go ahead and get started. So with me today is an associate teaching professor at the University of Missouri. He's an expert in technology and AI, also does some public speaking. He's an author. This is Mr. J. Scott Christensen. Appreciate hey. you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And <laughs> I'm going to need a straight answer from you, if you don't mind. How long do we have until the robots take over? Is it too late? Is Pandora's well, box already open or what? Skynet's activated? It might be too late for you, but not for me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm I think, significantly older, so I'll be long gone. <laughs> You're on the back nine? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, the more I dig in and learn about artificial intelligence and machine learning, the more I see some of its limitations. And so I'm uh, more and more skeptical that we'll have mm -hmm. some sort of general artificial intelligence. That doesn't mean that uh, what's out there right now can't kill us because obviously, uh, you know, AI is used in all sorts of social media and other things yeah. that make us more divisive and, and argue with each other. So uh, maybe before we even get to Skynet, we'll end up, uh, you know, <laughs> tearing each other apart. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Only time will tell, right? That's the that's the main key there, time. So yeah. I think I think the good place to start is back in history, the, the first industrial revolution, and keep me honest here, I'm I'm going off memory. I think the seventeen hundreds we had steam engines. Mm -hmm. That was the, the first great transition, I believe. And then the second wave was electric. I believe that was the eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah, so more into modern age. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of people look at um, electrification of different countries really happening uh, mm. after World War II or, or during the Depression era. So um, that's where you start to have wi widespread electrification and you yeah. had uh, factories, you know, factories became more common, obviously, in the steam age as well. Um, but we really shifted from being an agrarian society to being one that's in cities, right? So. And then I believe the third was computing and the internet, which was in the maybe early 70s, late late 60s. Yeah. So that's when it kind of took off and um, yeah. we started yeah. to have uh, networks of computers. And mm -hmm. uh, then I lived through a lot of that in the 80s and 90s when uh, the PC revolution. And then we had this weird thing called the internet, which everybody <laughs> thought was going to be a fad. Yeah, it's yeah, it going to be a fad, right? Yeah, and we so, didn't know, you know, because there were lots of competing technologies. Um, it's easy to forget the technologies that didn't win out, but there was all sorts of private networks and and other uh, schemes for linking people together. And it wasn't on this open internet, but that's what ended up winning. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of goes hand hand in hand with cryptocurrency today. It, mm -hmm. it seems like it's going to be a fad. A lot of people are saying fad. I personally think it's here to stay. I think it's going to be part of our new financial system coming here shortly. Um, but yeah, I hear a lot of fad is just going to go away, just like with the internet. And you couldn't have been more wrong if you said the internet was a fad. 
Yeah. So um, there's something called the technology hype cycle, and not all technologies follow this, but it's fairly common that you see uh, when people find out about the technology, they think, oh my gosh, you know, this is this is going to solve everything. It's, you know, 3D printers are going to 3D print my bones for me, and then Those they'll, they'll print, yeah. it'll print my lunch, and, you know, and, it, you know, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> then you find out that it's, oh, it's, it's a lot harder than, uh, than I thought. Um, but what happens is uh, we kind of enter this trough of disappointment, but then we uh, kind of start to become more enlightened about how the technology can actually be applied and how it can be used. And you kind of saw that with the internet. You know, we had the dot-com bust yeah. after e-commerce kind of mm -hmm. got overhyped. And, um, you know, I think you're, you're exactly right that, uh, you know, some of what we're talking about now, some of uh, what you see about cryptocurrency is, is probably way overhyped. Uh, but there's yeah. some core technologies there that are going to be really interesting. I think so. so. I think there's going to be a lot of technology, just like the dot-com era that goes away. Maybe some mm -hmm. 98, 99% of, because um, there's like 17,000 coins and there's just too many. So I'd imagine most of them are going to go away. But what you're saying is there's core functions that need the technology is there to make the financial system better. So yeah, and so uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. There's just too many coins, too many. You know, frankly, there are scam artists out there. Mm -hmm. uh, people that are just trying to get rich, as uh, opposed to people that are trying to build something that does right. something better. And uh, I saw today that Jamaica has come out with their or has authorized uh, the creation of their own digital currency. So this yes. is what we call central bank digital currency. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to build it on a blockchain, but it's going to allow peer to peer transfer for no fees. Yes. And it's also going to allow a lot of people to not have to go through that. Know your customer type of relationship. There may be some of that, but it will really help people who are unbanked make transactions yes. and mm -hmm. um you know, make it so that you can make transactions without these middlemen, you know, gobbling up um, all your money in these fees Ridiculous. and wire exchange fees yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they take out such a high percentage. And I mean, people are already tight on money as it is. So if you're trying to send money from here to Mexico, they take out a, a pretty hefty percentage of that cash. And that that's the technology we're talking about with uh, crypto. I mean, you, you can get rid of that. That, that helps yeah. yeah, if I was to send um, uh, something to my family, let's say I'm working here and I send something to my family that's overseas, um, you know, Western Union is going to take out a big chunk of that. Um, it's probably, depending on the country, it might be that somebody with a gun is going to be hanging outside the Western Union shop to, to rob my family. Uh, but with this, I can just transfer it to their cell phone. They have it. They can convert it uh, into whatever local currency they want. And Beautiful. so re for these remittances is what we call that uh, kind of process. It's great. And, you know, let's say I'm a big company and I want to send a $10 million to uh, somebody overseas. I can settle that in a matter of minutes for, right. um, you know, a few hundred dollars compared to uh, settling it in 30 days for $10,000. So uh, you're exactly right. I mean, our financial system is pretty antiquated and um, there's lots of great applications for this technology. And let's not forget when you send big money like that, that it takes, a, perhaps you'll see it on Zelle or whatever. It, it, it looks like it clears right away, but I assure you it does not right. in the background. Yeah. So you see it on the front side that it, okay, the money's in my account. But on the back end, it's it takes like three to five days to clear. 
So right now, I believe, I keep hearing that the fastest way for money to travel is to take money, go on an airplane and bring it somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. Like we're, we're in 2022, that should not be the case. Yeah, and even the banks agree on this. There's been a lot of criticism of the um, current uh, SWIFT network, which is what yes, most banks yes. use. Um, you know, I think um, it's long overdue. These these banks, frankly, had kind of a you know easy time of it, right? So they, they were the only game in town. And when you're the only game in town, yeah. you kind of get fat uh, and happy, and you don't tend to update stuff because, well, why do it? That cuts into exactly your current right. margins. We see that so much. I have some friends that game, you know, with Xbox. And the games that do not have a competitor, it's seriously just a copy and paste and put a new label on it. Because why would you want to spend more effort, money, yada, 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 on something you don't need to? You don't have a competitor. So why? Right. And we continue to buy it. (laughs) So, I mean, everyone wins if there's two people competing to industries competing companies. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing about these uh, different platforms. So Ethereum is the one that I'm probably the most interested in because it allows Mm -hmm. you to to tie the, um, um, you know, uh, method of payment, the Ether, to a smart contract. And I know there's other coins out there that do that as well. But I think uh, it allows me to essentially uh, produce my own application, my own... um, you know, um, yeah, I guess application for lack of a better word um, that I can put out there and I can compete. And then Jay can say, oh, well, you know, Scott's application is crap. I'm going to build a better one. And he builds a better one. And within days, everybody switched over to that. So I think, um, you know, it's going to be a very interesting platform. I do feel like it's kind of like early days, like it was in the 90s. Um, and you know, there was a lot of turmoil then, um, with the internet, um, that's the information superhighway. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's how I'm feeling as well, that we're going to see a, a, a pretty big boom here. I'd imagine pretty shortly. And then after that, I mean, then there'll, there'll be regulations, right. And then the opportunity because the market's so volatile, that's where opportunity is. So if, if you have money to risk. I mean, it's not financial advice, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that was the uh, that was the, the third wave. That was the internet 1969. So stage four, we were going through all the stages. We made it to stage three, and then we got caught up in cryptocurrency. So <laughs> stage four, I believe, is uh, physics at a molecular. I believe is mole- the way yeah. people pronounce molecular. it. Yeah. So yeah. AI yeah. Today. Yeah, so I think what you're heading up toward is this what we call the fourth industrial revolution. And so it involves a whole lot of technologies like um, blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies as well as 3D printing. So we're starting to see some really wild stuff going on there with not only 3D printing metal for like rocket engines, but there was something last week where they were actually 3D printing a heart muscle. And so a they're... Yeah. So um, uh, being able to uh, take stem cells and then tell them that, hey, you need to become a heart and starting to 3D print something that uh, could go into your body. And so there's some pretty wild stuff coming out of this. Um, In the fourth industrial revolution, what we often see is references to things like mobile computing. And that is kind of the um, 
common denominator around the world, right? So even if I'm in um, a relatively poor country, I can get an Android device for, you know, let's say $100, less than $100 US, and I can you know, have a high quality phone, I can have a high quality camera, I can uh, have a high quality video player, I can do all sorts of stuff with that. But what's uh, interesting is one of the things that we're seeing tying this together is artificial intelligence. So when you start to combine these things together, when you start to um, make your house intelligence, if you will, you can do some interesting things. And and as you started uh, with your initial question there, you can do some pretty darn scary stuff too, yeah. right? Yeah, that's where ethics comes into play, right? There needs to be regulations of some sort. And that's what I'm worried about is what countries are going to regulate it? Who's going to have, uh, you know, just open season? It's 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 wild to me. Uh, it's We're advancing really, really quickly. And I don't know if we're going to be able to have a grasp on it. What you said earlier, though, you said that it's almost underwhelming once you start looking at it. You didn't say those exact words, but mm -hmm. I would say that when it comes to things like general artificial intelligence or some Skynet. But like I said, you, you know, we can have negative effects without having to have a Skynet. Right. Uh, and so I'll give you an example that kind of comes from uh, uh, the, the ties in with cryptocurrency. And that is in China, they have a digital renminbi. So they're starting to deploy this. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. central bank digital currency that would be a replacement yeah. for crypto. Right. Uh, and it's kind of neat because they can airdrop that into your wallet, uh, bypassing the bank. So um, being able to inter interact directly between the federal government and and or the central government and a, a citizen, but they also have something called a social credit score. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, Jay, you know, I, we, as listeners will know, is probably going to be an outstanding citizen in any country in the of world, course. and uh, he's going to go to all the right rallies. He's going to, you know, uh, <laughs> go to the crosswalks and probably help some little old ladies across the the crosswalk there. You know uh, me so well. Yeah, always buys fruits and veg. And we know from the AI that uh, is tracking his face around town, um, you know, what he's doing, what he's buying, where he's at. Whereas Scott, you know, is is always in the wrong neighborhoods. He's always, the AI uh, facial recognition shows him crossing um, in the middle of the street and throwing his cigarette on the street. Uh, so we know that Scott is not as deserving uh, of those airdrop renminbi. Or maybe he needs to have a different rate by which he pays things. Or maybe we're going to prohibit him from taking a train home to see his family until he shapes up. So you're able to tie that social policy and a lot of that data is driven by AI with monetary policy. So, um, you know, that may be coming fairly soon if it's not there already. Yeah. Is that facial recognition out here in the States? I know for you can open up cell phones like that's how you get access to your phone. But as far as like crossing a street or walking into a bank, are they doing facial recognition uh, yeah so there are a number of companies that are doing this privately and that's one of the things that's a little bit uh, difficult um there's a, have been a number of police departments that have been contracting with these private companies and um because they are public entities it's much easier to get at those and say i don't want my police department doing that uh and in fact there's been i think three arrests so far of people that um 
uh, or they were detained, they were detained based on facial recognition um, by the police. And they found that um, these three people were, um, I mean, I, I'm trying, uh, let me back up a little. There were three people that were misidentified and detained. Um, oh, so there were no. more than, you know, that that were actually, um, you know, detained yeah. or arrested, but they were misidentified and they were all African-American males. Mm-hmm. And that's because, uh, you can't see me, but, uh, you know, I'm the typical old white guy uh, and uh, uh, engineers at Google kind of look like me. Right. So that's what they use for their training uh, data. And so they're able to train facial recognition algorithms, but it works only on what it's been trained on. And there's a great um, uh, uh documentary called Coded Bias. It's got a little bit of a political angle, but um, uh, if you watch that, um, it talks about the use of this facial recognition technology already here in the U.S. Yeah, that there's positive and there's negative, obviously, such is life. But with, yeah, it's you know if you if you're the victim of a crime you might want to have that right and but if you're a misaccused of committing a crime that's not so good so we need to have oversight we need to have public uh, oversight and Jay exactly what you were saying there a little bit ago about a private um, company like a bank using that well there's no public oversight of that or at least there isn't yet and that's why we need to start having some uh, discussions as what well, we want as a society to see. Uh, uh, how we want to see this technology evolve. Yeah, the, the misidentification is alarming, yes. Uh, I understand that if someone breaks the law, like robs a bank, steals, yeah, they should obviously be punished for what they've done. What kind of is going to keep me up at night is how much power will the government or these entities that are in control, like so, for example... If I post something on social media that doesn't go along with some kind of narrative and they, you know, they just ban me, they, or like, I can't go shopping and they turn off my bank account with these CBDCs, they expire my money. Like, am I supposed to be just a a good little citizen and do everything that I'm told to do and kind of just be robotic at that point? That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, and I think one of the things we have to realize, Jay, is there's also, um, you know, you and I are coming at it from a Western point of view. So some people right. who have been interviewed yeah. in China about the social mm-hmm. credit score say, well, I think that's a good thing because, you know, that Scott was always abusing the system and now he's finally getting his just desserts. Wow. So, um, yeah, you're right. There's cultural differences here, too. Uh, and certainly there's uh, governments that, you know, are on a scale of authoritarianism, right? So uh, every uh, government has some regulation and oversight. Um, and to what degree that is uh, centralized is, is uh, and, and to what degree the citizens have input into that. You know, what's bizarre to me is if you're in space and you, you look at the Earth and like there's, there's one race of people on this planet, and it, like I'm sure everything looks so peaceful up from outer space, looking at the Earth. But then when you when you come down, like the closer you get, you see it being more chaotic and more division. And, and if you're an alien, just like looking at Earth, you're wondering how how is this possible? How did this happen? <laughs> right. Like it, there, it, it seems like nonsense. Like some of the things, everything becomes politicized, and that's what bothers me the most. 
is people pick their team. People pick, mm-hmm. I'm on red, I'm on blue, you know? And just because what your team is saying, you go ahead and agree with it, even though deep down you might not agree with it, but that's what your team's playing. That's what your team's doing, so you root for them. Yeah. It's not a good, it's not a good way to live. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be a problem for some time, and I think there's um, various things that have profited be- by having that de- making that divide in our politics. But I will say that I am an optimist and I will tell you, Jay, that in all those previous industrial revolutions, there was a lot of turmoil there too. And so uh, there were a lot of people that were displaced and they, that, um, had to figure out a new life and, and they did not like that. And a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, um, scariness. And so, um, I don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, this is the end of times or anything like that. I think we're, we're going through a rough patch and we can get through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm overall, I'm optimistic, but just some things scare me about moving forward and the technological advancements because I'm seeing how social media is affecting people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just some of the things I see is just like, I don't have, I do have a TikTok, but I do not look at it. I strictly just post my media and be done with it because that can be addicting. When you're looking at videos that are eight seconds and you're just scrolling through and do you know in China they have they have a, a time that they turn it off, I believe, and they show educational videos while out here it's just dances and nonsense and yeah. Finish. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're exactly right. And I think one of the dangers about social media is it tends to creep up on us, right? So maybe you get TikTok and you're like, oh, this is kind of fun. I spent five minutes on it while I was having my coffee this morning. Well, then you're you're also watching it while you're going down the street. You're watching it while you're in the elevator. You're watching it, you know, all these other times. And pretty soon you're spending 40 hours a week. Uh, watching TikTok videos. And I find, <laughs> find find that this is what happens to my students. Sometimes I will see a student in a large le- lecture and uh, they will be um, holding their phone and doing something and I'll grab it and I'll say, okay, um, I want you to, um, I'm going to go now <laughs> to the settings and let's see how much time yeah. you spent. And I said, yeah. I want you to just guess. And they'll say, like, oh, I think I spend like an hour and a half a day. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, right. it's four hours a day. It's oh my like, God. You realize that's a full-time job. I mean, you could For be sure. making, you know, uh, so uh, I think it's, and it, it's not just that generation. It's my generation too. So uh, we're all susceptible to these dopamine hits that we get when we see something novel or new, or we get a like or any of that kind of stuff. All this stuff is designed for us to have these dopamine hits. Yeah. So I think it's always a good idea to take a break every once in a while, maybe once a quarter. Be conscious of it, be aware. Yeah, just say, I'm going to take a week off, you know. I'm going to take a week off of social media. Um, You know, nothing earth-shattering is going to happen in that week. And um, it allows you to kind of check things back and see if you've really gotten uh, in over your head. Yeah, I like to say that we're cyborgs. I, because the cell phone never leaves your hand. So you're part machine, technically. I mean, mm-hmm. how often is your phone away from you? You kind of freak out if you get in your car and your phone's not on you. Right. You a little panic attack, anxiety. 
And, and like I said, you know, it's, it's everybody. I, it drives me crazy. Some of my faculty colleagues have Apple watches and this is one yeah. of the reasons I don't have an Apple watch is I'll be in a yeah. meeting with them and they will then be looking at their Apple watch all the time. And I'm like, well, why am I even here? You know, I need to be here. <laughs> You're just going to sit here and scroll through your Apple watch. I could do, I could go back to my office. So you lived during, so you've seen it all. Pretty much. You've seen it before technology. You've seen it today, right? Yeah. So when I was in uh, high school, we uh, learned how to type on uh, typewriters. We were lucky enough to have electric typewriters. They were IBM Selectrics. And so that was a big deal because uh, those were much easier on your hands. But uh, I remember my f- first time, I was probably in junior high when we got our first computer in Apple IIe. Wild. That was a lot of fun. And, you know, at that time, it was about programming the computer, about learning how it worked, about building things with the computer. You weren't consuming content. It wasn't a, con- uh, a device for consumers. It was a device for creators. And I have a lot of nostalgia for those times because I remember all the, you know, fun I had creating things. And uh, I think a lot of technology that... Um, you know, it's used just for this consumer uh, aspect now where we're consuming videos, we're consuming other content, and uh, we're not being creative and creating things. Now, you're creating podcasts, and I'm sure you get a lot of enjoyment out of that. You get um, you get to try different things. You get to think about different ways of approaching your guests. You get to think about different technology you're going to use. Yeah, uh, everybody different ways I to talk to has a different field of expertise, and that's what I love because I, I love learning. So I, I can't do it all. So I, I love to hear from everyone that's doing it themselves. So and yeah. um, gathering information from everyone. And, and so you get that same sort of feel as I did back with the Apple IIe is that you're uh, getting to create something new and it's yours that you're creating. Yeah. And yeah. that was what was so exciting about it. And, um, you know, in large way, the Internet was that way when it first started out, too, because everybody had their own blog, right, or in uh, your own little website. And you created that and you tweaked it and, and you modified it here and there. And it was a, a lot of fun. Maybe only 10 people a month came to visit it. But still, it was kind of a big deal to you, right? Did you um, think it was going to be a fad, the Internet? Um, no, but I didn't really quite understand how transformational it was going to be. Right. Um, I, I just assumed that, oh, this will, this will work out. Um, it's funny. Uh, I had a friend that was out in DC and, um, when I first got my first email address, it was really exciting. I would send him an email and then like two days later, I would call him and probably spend $20 in long listings fees to talk about how he received my email and how awesome that was. <laughs> so, That's great. I love that. Because that was the only person I knew that also had an email address in the world. This That's is probably wild. 92 or something like that. And yeah. so. Um, 92. Wow. Yeah. So that was indeed, that was, uh, you know, before web browsers, um, but it was kind of a cool thing. And I remember we actually um, had a conversation once uh, uh, different web browsers came out. We said, well, what if we bought up some of these like generic words like flowers or cars or Uh something like that? That's what I'm doing for cryptocurrency right now. The crypto uh, domains. Yeah. 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 And and we wrote back and forth and said, no, it costs us $50 to register each one of those. <laughs> yeah. There's no way that anybody would do that. 
uh, would pay for that. And of course, flowers.com sold for like three or four million. So um, if I had uh, decided to do that, I would probably be on a beach somewhere uh, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's risky. You don't know. You don't know for certain Amazon, right? Amazon was just selling books. Yeah. Right? And their stock tanked. They, I think they almost went to, to zero. I'm almost positive. They almost went bankrupt. Well, everybody and, had a really rough time there because they were not measuring the correct metrics. So uh, a lot of people would measure the metric of number of hits to our website. And so the, these people report, we got all these hits to our website and, and everybody just assumed that would translate into profits somehow. Well, then they started to realize, oh, it costs us $40 to acquire a customer. And over that customer's lifetime, we earn $3. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. so really, we're just <laughs> oh, burning yeah. money um, with every new customer we we acquire. And that was kind of what started to drive the dot-com bubble uh, or the bust rather is that investors started realizing, wait a second, there's no hope of actually making money. (laughs) So, yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit. The, the fifth wave. So we did stage four and now the fifth wave, is that going to be, brains attack like we become one singularity brains are we have chips in our brains and we're just always connected to the internet like in the matrix well um i hope not um so i think once again we have to realize the future doesn't have to just happen to us right so everything that we have uh every little button on our phone every little uh gadget and doodad every little piece of infrastructure that was decided upon by somebody so we get to decide what that is we could also we could imagine a dystopia which is kind of what i think you're describing there or at least to me it is um and Exactly right. And that's probably a good thing that we can imagine that because uh, maybe we can prevent going there. And we could also imagine a scenario where we can have a um, two-day work week and we uh, benefit from AI and automation uh, to such a degree that people largely don't have to work and we can still have the things that we need uh, to function as humans being provided. So there's lots of different scenarios by which we can look at this. Um, and uh, What scenario do you see playing out most likely, let's say within the next 50 years? I do think it's possible that we may see some sort of, um, and some people call it universal basic income. Uh, yeah. Bill Gates has come up with this idea that we will have a tax on robots, but I think there needs to be some sharing of this um, dividend that we're getting from uh, artificial intelligence because in those previous industrial revolutions, so for example, the PC revolution that I was kind of lived through part of, my mom was a secretary who worked in a steno pool with a typewriter. Well, that job doesn't exist anymore. However, in the 90s, a lot of IT jobs came online and um, there were as many or more IT jobs and they paid better. So those industrial revolutions, we saw that, um, you know, overall, now it kind of sucked if you were the person that got unemployed. I was going to say a lot of people did get hurt from that though, right? Yeah. Like both ways. Yeah. So, but overall, in if you look at averages, society kind of moved upward, right? More people made more income, more people were employed. Um, 
However, it's not clear that that's going to be the case with this AI revolution. One AI that can diagnose um, uh, x-rays, maybe we just need one for the entire world, right? We don't need one in each community. Um, we need access to it in each community, but it's going to work better than a radiologist. It's going to be faster than a radiologist. We don't need um, people developing that in every little community. We're going to just have it developed once, and it's going to be kind of copy and paste, right? And so I think that this revolution is going to be much different. And so that's why you actually do see people on different sides of the political aisle talking about what are we going to do about unemployment? What are we going to do about automation that's going to unemploy people? What does that robot look like that's helped? Like, is it conscious? Like, no, no, is you know, this is the thing. Uh, yeah, so something like the the robot, if you will, that is doing the radiologist's job. Well, that's just a computer that's been trained on a very large data set so that it knows what x-rays look like when the person has pneumonia, what the, the x-rays look like when people don't have pneumonia, and uh, is able to then look at Scott's x-ray when he comes in to the emergency room and very quickly give a probability that, hey, there's a 95% chance that Scott's got pneumonia here. Yeah. Maybe. And that's we, essentially what a radiologist them. does too, right? So. Right. We, that I'm worried about, and I hate to be so negative, but I like to kind of daydream about it. Maybe it's all the movies I've seen, but <laughs> <laughs> like we keep advancing. So we had an iPhone one, we're at iPhone, I don't even know, 13 now, right? So uh -huh. that radiologist, that's a robot. Well, why stop there, right? Why not have one that has like, I don't know, uh, empathy, right? So a patient that's not feeling well, like a robot that shows empathy and will calm them down, but at the same time can do these checks, like automatic checks, you know, something like that. That's what worries me because at what point do they gain consciousness and can they like, start creating themselves? There's, well, uh, uh, well you, uh, let me give you an example from a field called adversarial AI. Uh, adversarial AI is basically how do we trick this AI? Uh, how do we figure out what is inside this kind of black box of the AI? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one example was stop signs. So Google, uh, this is an old example, but uh, Google had trained uh, their AI for autonomous driving on stop signs. And it was very good at identifying stop signs. Of course, Google's campus is probably filled with stop signs and they're probably really nice looking stop signs, right? right, right well, right. Some, re some researchers found if they were to um, take a stop sign and they just defaced it with some tape or some stickers, then the AI would think that's a 45 mile an hour speed oh, limit sign. Oh, God. And so here's here's the difference. Uh, once again, that's a very narrow thing. It was very good at stop signs that were uh, yes, you know, pristine, yes. but it couldn't take information about colors and shapes and letters and apply that to the defaced stop sign. A three-year-old can understand shapes and colors and letters, and it can infer from what it knows about stop signs and those other subjects that, oh, this thing with a spray paint on it is also a stop sign, and mommy should stop here as well. And so um, 
that's where I say that it's narrow and it works only in these very narrow bands on which it's been trained. So it's very hard to say, okay, well now let's have that also do some other work um, because it can't do that other work. It's basically statistics on steroids where it's being able to uh, predict things. So for example, if you're a podcaster, you may have used something called Descript, which will allow you to train um, and maybe Zencaster does as well. It'll train uh, an AI on your voice, and then you can go in and make edits to your podcast without having to get your microphone out and and. Uh, Are you kidding me? No, we record it. But it's <laughs> there could be another Jay Baroni out there, just and it's not even. Yeah, me. I could take uh, and I could even uh, you know um, have you saying all sorts of you know malicious things like that oh you hate God, hedgehogs or no. something like that. So I could uh, train an AI on on that. But what it's doing is uh, when it's saying something in Jay's voice, it's doing it by predicting what Jay would sound like. Okay. Now, I can't predict unless it's trained on it. What would Jay sound like if he was excited? What would he sound like if he was bored or, um, you know, if, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, it's only really making predictions. So if you start to look at things like Siri and uh, the Alexa, those are all just making predictions. So it's just probabilities that they're looking at. Yeah, I I thought, uh, I think by now, like I would have thought that we'd have a, more advanced kind of Siri, like as far as right. the voice goes, because it still sounds very robotic and, you know, like from 1990s, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the things that shows the limitations that it can't uh, take something it knows from one area and then use it in a different area the way a child could. And Have you so, ever seen the, I'm sorry, continue. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask if uh, if you've seen the movie, it's called Her. Ah, I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen yeah. the whole thing, but yeah. It's with uh, Phoenix. I think Joachim Phoenix, is that his name? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, this movie is fantastic. So it's a it's a new operating system for their phone or whatever, but it's it has a human voice. It's very humanized. And like I was speaking earlier, it shows empathy. It, it knows how to hold a conversation on its own, et cetera, et cetera. And they started building a relationship first to start off as a friendship, but then the operating system started getting jealous of him interacting with other humans, other people. And then there was a moment where they, I don't know how it was like phone sex. So they had sex. And then after that moment, (laughs) the operating system became conscious and was like completely aware and just, emotional rack and like yeah like this guy was really dating his operating system it, it, it the concept is fantastic it's amazing but it's it's really wild I, I i don't think we're far off from something like that and when i say far off i mean maybe like the next hundred years or so but well we'll both be in the ground then yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe a uh, hundred years from now it's all new people yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, quantum computing. Okay. When when did quantum computing take effect? Is it Has it always been 
around for the past uh, maybe the 60s or is this something new? No, this is very, very new. And um, it's basically um, when you think about our computers today, they work on something called binary. So it's ones or zeros. And I'm sure most everybody's heard of that. It's really kind of like the technology of a light switch. And it's kind of amazing how well we can operate our computers and get things done with just with ones and zeros. Um, and there have been experiments in the past with having other options besides ones and zeros. So maybe one zero and a, and a two or something like that, tri-state logic. Um, that hasn't worked out so well. But the idea of quantum computing is instead of having a zero or one for a bit, you could have many many different possibilities and therefore you could have much more information that would be stored and there we're just now starting to see quantum computers um, uh, become available to researchers at a, at a scale that matters so ibm has uh, some examples they're one of the leaders in this as well as uh, google in fact there's a very fierce rivalry there but um, that's an interesting idea. I don't know if that will ever come to the masses or not, but there's some uh, fears that this may break current cryptography. Um, so for example, since you're involved in cryptocurrencies, you know about public and private keys. So if I could yeah, yeah. hack and figure out uh, a, uh, a private key, I could get, you know, billions of dollars potentially. So even the exchanges possibly, right? Like if right. storages of their own, Right, so there's um, there's a lot of um, a lot of fears around quantum computing, but also a lot of fantastic stuff that could happen with that. Yeah. So, what kind of information are we talking about? Like, um, can it predict using all of the data that it has to it? Can it predict how Earth would end? Um, you, know, you know what I mean. Like, there's all this information, like. <clears throat> I think it's more along the lines of predicting, um, you know, based on past weather, probably weather problems are probably the biggest um, thing that supercomputers are used for to try to develop models for predicting the weather. And so that's the type of stuff that this could uh, chew away on and might be able to, within days, figure out something that would take years and years with a right, traditional right. computer. Yeah, with like pollution, if we keep using the, the cars and oil and, you know, stuff like that, that I'd imagine it'd be able to come up and give us a, a pretty good idea of how long Earth would last if we keep going at this rate. Well, yeah, once again, I'm not sure that we need to need that because we are using like, uh, you know, one and a half Earth's worth of resources um, and we only have one Earth. So I, I think we know something's got to change here. So um, yeah. it's just a matter of when and, and who's going to suffer the most. Do you think that uh, we have to get off of Earth in order to keep human civilization going? No. I, well, I, I think that's interesting, the long-term plan, but as far as uh, a way to avoid immediate consequences of uh, global warming or pollution or um, other uh, environmental problems, that's a really poor way to look at it because the cost to put something into space is just astronomical. Um, and getting weirded out by all the CEOs keep taking little trips to space. Yes, it's getting better, but there's going to be a certain point, you know. We know something. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a bad idea. You know, if you think about Mars, how inhospitable it is, it would be uh, very, very difficult to uh, have any sort of civilization live there. And so I think, um, you know, we better fix our home first. Right. Do you think it's possible to, let's say, digitize human consciousness, like upload it into a computer? Maybe not now, but is technology advancing to get there? I don't know. Um, that's an interesting idea. It brings in the question, you know, what is consciousness? Is it just our brain and our connections of our brain? Um, there is a uh, science fiction book called uh, Fall or Dodge in Hell by Neil Stevenson. And that kind of explores that topic. What would it be like if you were a brain that was uploaded? Um, would people like that better than being physical uh, forms? Would you actually, you know, maybe kill yourself so that you could be uploaded? Right, uh, right. So to speak. Right. And, um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, once again, it might be my age, but I would re- do not want to be uploaded. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you too. I'm with you too. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't, it, it, it's kind of eerie, right? Yeah. I think we're all supposed to die and whatever happens next happens next. That's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to this, uh, theoretical, uh, physicist. His name is, uh, Michio Kaku. Have you ever okay. heard of him? I have not. Okay. Um, he was talking about how the technology is going to advance and, and there will be a time when you can digitize the human consciousness. And he was going along saying that you can put that information into a laser beam and then you can use that as a vehicle to shoot it. Let's say for this example, to the moon, Mm -hmm. we have avatars just like scrap metal avatars on the moon and you can upload consciousness to that machine. And now you can roam the moon because you're not in a body or a robot or whatever. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I wonder wonder if, you know, some of the stuff that's going on with development of VR, um, you know, that's going to allow that type of thing to happen. Um, You know, VR is another technology that has been around and had a promise for, um, you know, such a long, long time. There was a book I think I read in the early 90s by Howard Rheingold called uh, uh, Virtual Reality. Um, and that was uh, when people were first figuring out that, oh, you could put these little rudimentary screens in front of people and and uh, you could manipulate their optics a little bit and they would think you know what year that was? 3D. Pardon? Do you know what year that was? Yeah, that was, it had to be in the early 90s. So. Did, did you know that there... Have you seen the Oculus or the VR set? That yeah, yeah. We have a couple of those on campus, and we actually have a, yeah. uh, a couple of VR-related startups here in town. I'll send you this link. It, it's really bizarre. But back in the 60s, maybe you've seen it, they had something that looked identical to uh-huh. this Oculus in the 60s, documented and everything. I'll send you the link if you haven't seen it. Okay, great. It, it's really wild, man. <laughs> cool. We're talking the 60s they had this. And it didn't work, of course, like it does today. But still, just like the thought and the they had they had the machinery right there. It, I mean, huh. it makes you think. 
Oh yeah. Well, um, I'm reading a book actually about the history. I haven't, I may, it may be mentioned in there, but about the history of computing and the internet called um, where wizards stayed up well late. Ooh, now you're talking about, about language. Uh, about uh, all the, uh, it's really well, well written. It's it's from a, a while ago, but it really talks about these people that in the 50s, you know, they didn't have much of a computer at all, but they theorized that, oh, wait a second, if this was, you know, a million times faster, we could do this and this with it. And right, so right. Um, it's pretty amazing what people worked out a long time ago, uh, even when the technology wasn't there yet. Do you believe in aliens? Uh, I don't know. I, I certainly think that the universe is big enough that uh, there's got to be life elsewhere. Um, whether we are within, uh, you know, driving distance <laughs> of some other uh, civilization is uh, it comes into question or not. But I'm also uh, very much an optimist. You know, I have some friends that are in physics and they tell me, oh, no, you can't. You, it'll never happen. And I said, well, you know, you have to realize that less than a hundred years ago, we thought the universe was as only as big as our galaxy. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. you know, this stuff changes and, and ideas change um, and technology changes. So uh, I will not, uh, I certainly think there's got to be other life out there. Uh, but yeah. I think um, uh, whether and we the, can reach it or communicate it with it is going to be a different matter. The question needs to be asked then as well is if, if there is other life out there, which I, I believe as well, because the universe is, it's infinite. But um, mm -hmm. are we the most advanced? And you know, I my my statement is no. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that we're the most advanced in the universe. So what kind of technology is out there? You know. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's an interesting question, and it's one that uh, a lot of people have. Uh, asked over the years and and uh we'll we'll find out someday <laughs> yeah yeah well i really hope that i'm still around to, to see that <laughs> and then uh, and then i'm good to go after they visit <laughs> i can go that's it bucket list but um <clears throat> i wanted your thoughts on uh, on elon musk um and if you've heard of uh neuralink yeah i have heard of neuralink um <clears throat> i don't I'm not sure that, you know, feeding more information into the brain is actually our problem. Um, you know, I don't think information or information, um, you know, bandwidth of information coming into the human right. brain is yeah. really our problem. And in fact, I think we see that a lot of people that are very successful, um, you know, with the exception of Musk, um, are sometimes people that take the time to think. So Warren Buffett, you know, he says that he's a pretty lazy person uh, because he spends his day reading and he goes to McDonald's and then goes home and that's about it. Um, and uh, he, um, interesting. you know, so I, I don't think that um, that's a technology that's going to be useful for people like you and me, but they are developing some interesting technologies with helping people with disabilities. Um, and so I think that's a, an area where we might see some interesting developments. I don't know what to think about Musk lately. Uh, I've been a big fan for quite a number of years. I read the yeah, biography here. of him, but uh, this whole Twitter thing, I, I, it seems like a big distraction. Um, it does, doesn't it? it it's, uh, I don't understand it at all. Um, Can't put my and, finger uh, on it. Yeah, so 
Uh, well, if you think about it, he, he has a lot of data that he has access to, a lot of data. I'm wondering what's going, what what's what's he going to do with the data that he's getting? He's got plenty of our data, I'd imagine, right, right. at this point, right? Yeah, hmm. so I, yeah, I just, I, it seems like a big distraction. He's got a lot of things going. He's got a lot of uh, interesting projects. He's made it through a lot of the really tough times with Tesla and SpaceX. It seems like this is the time to, to make some uh, next bold, uh, you know, new products. Um, but instead, he's, you know, screwing around with Twitter. <laughs> so I don't, I don't yeah, understand it. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, what do you think the next breakthrough, I don't know, maybe, application or technology do you think is going to be like and i'll I'll elaborate a little more like um facebook was giant let's say social media i guess so we had facebook start off with myspace facebook instagram tiktok is is there going to be something else would you imagine well I, i can say definitely yes yeah, I don't know what it is, but uh, there will definitely be something else. Um, you know, I think there's, I do think there's some really interesting stuff happening with NFTs um, and how it might relate to things like governance and and uh, revenue sharing and and uh, how we structure a company. I actually have a young uh, lady that was a student of mine. She just graduated with a degree in accounting, and she has a little startup. Uh, where she's using some of this technology, this NFT technology, in a, um, a company that's making a traditional product. And so it's very interesting because if you have the NFT, you have rights to revenue stream, you have rights to just, uh, some uh, input into corporate governance, um, you know, you um, as well as rights to some uh, product. And so there's some interesting ways that I think we can reimagine how companies get built. Uh, and I think that's kind of exciting. Um, and I think it would be, um, you know, if people could experience the uh, excitement of being an entrepreneur. And, and uh, um, I think that would be an interesting uh, new thing for a lot of folks. You know, we see gamification of yeah, a lot yeah. of the traditional stuff like Robin Hood and, and all that. But that's still, you know, stock trading and, and uh, you know, uh, trading of assets and things like that. But I think we may see something entirely new that that might be kind of interesting because you could band together with your friends and, and uh, you know, own part of a company or, or do something um you know, on your own, that would be fairly interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what that next thing is going to be. Uh, I am, I do keep an eye on what's going on in the crypto community and NFTs and all that kind of stuff, because I just, uh, you know, it's just a very curious technology. And I think somebody's going to figure out some, some great application. Yeah, it it just seems like one moment it's not here. And then the next, it's just like everywhere. Yeah, that's, that's what. what it, yeah, I told this. That's what I told this young woman. I said, you know, it's a stupid idea until it isn't. For sure, for sure, <laughs> exactly. And you're like, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Why didn't I think of selling domain names? <laughs> that was a stupid idea. Oh well, shoot, it's not. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think that um, what could be coming next is people don't they're going to get bored of just seeing things and interacting with their thumbs. They want to feel mm-hmm. like have some kind of emotion attached to it. You know, like m- instead of seeing a movie, you're actually feeling a movie. You're actually feeling the emotions that's happening Yeah, I, I, down the road. But <laughs> I, I think that people 
would want that. Well, one of the, um, uh, this isn't exactly what you're talking about there, but it's kind of interesting. Um, my, one of my students who is now getting a PhD on his PhD committee um, is in Romance Languages. And he's looking at how stories get built and different structures and different genre, genres in um, uh, Latin American literature. And he's actually working uh, on an AI and an AI project where it's kind of like if you remember those old choose your own adventure games where you could, uh, or, or tech books where you would say, like, you know, turn to page 35 if you want to do, you know, attack the dragon, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's that kind of thing, but it's tied to an AI and biofeedback. So maybe Scott wants a relaxing novel about some, you know, people that go to the seashore and they have a drink and they, they see a whale and it's real exciting. Uh, and, you know, Jay wants to shoot him up and, a, you know, a murder <laughs> mystery. Well, that same book could take different yeah. paths looking yes. at, what makes us feel good or what our enjoyment level is. So movies like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. Netflix did yeah. a, a experiment with that. I think with black mirror, uh, I was going to ask if you've seen those, those shows. Yeah. Black mirror, so, I um, so I think, uh, you know, there's some interesting things there as far as, um, you know, you can think about sitting down to watch a movie uh, with somebody, but maybe watching essentially different movies in some way. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, that's great. I think uh, I think that's a good place to leave it unless you want to. Uh, actually, let me ask you one last thing. What what are you hopeful for? Oh, I'm very, very hopeful about the future. And I think that, yeah. um, you know, this is a tumultuous time, but we have to engage. We have to not just be defeatist. We have to realize that you know, once again, everything that's around us was decided upon by somebody or some society. So it's up mm -hmm. to us to make the future. And um, I'm very encouraged by the students I get to meet and work with. Awesome. Uh, right. that they're going to make a great future for us. Beautiful. Well, that makes me a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> Glad to hear that. <laughs> well, hey, it was a great conversation. I like to, uh, at the end of the podcast, give you a, a couple seconds if you want to give out some social media, how people can reach you or shout out to anything. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what I've, uh, I am off of Facebook because of the way they use AI. And so I think <laughs> I ditched it about, uh, three years yeah. ago or so, but I yeah. have a little Substack newsletter where I talk about technology. So you can go to profcprofcnews.com and you can see old issues there and subscribe if you'd like. Um, awesome. and, uh, I enjoyed that a lot. There's about 1500 folks that, uh, subscribe oh, wow. to that. And I get uh, comments back all the time about, Oh, you should read this or have you checked this out? Yeah. So yeah. it's, a uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Jay Scott, I appreciate it. Thank you for doing this. Um, have you on again sometime. Appreciate it. I got a lot of knowledge. I feel good about the future. <laughs> thanks again for doing this. Appreciate right. it. Well, thanks for having me. Have a good night. Yeah. Take care. Later, Bye -bye. everybody.